Please turn in your Bibles for our scripture reading today. It is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It is also found on page 11 of your worship guide. And if you are willing and able, I ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. And as you do so, know that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our Lord stands forever. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dan. Today is the third Sunday in Advent, and just as a brief reminder, Advent on the church calendar is a time to remember and celebrate the first coming of Jesus in humility while we also uh, prepare for his second coming in power and in glory. And today we are on part three of a four-part Advent series looking at messages that angels proclaimed around the first coming of Jesus. Uh, We began two weeks ago with the angel Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah. And Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife, Elizabeth, though she was well advanced in years, though she was barren, she was going to have a son, John the Baptist, who would go before, who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, Jesus who would be the one who would take away all our disgrace. Last week, we considered Gabriel's appearance to Mary, that she, though a virgin, would have a son, Jesus, who is indeed the king who saves and the king who reigns over all forever. This week, we're back to another appearance of an angel, an angel appearing to Mary's future husband, Joseph. And the angel reveals to Joseph that Mary is pregnant, not because of Joseph, nor because of any other man, but by the miraculous work of God. In fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, this baby will be God for us, and God with us. So that for Joseph and for all of God's people, indeed for you who trust in Jesus today, 
Whatever circumstances you have faced in the past, whatever you may be facing today or you will face in the future, you do not need to be afraid. God's almighty power will come to bear upon your circumstances. Indeed, upon you and what you may not understand, God will indeed work for the praise of his glorious grace and for your eternal good. For God himself is for you and with you. Today we want to consider this message that the angel proclaims. What does the angel say to Joseph? What does this tell us about Jesus and what does it mean for us today? And we'll see that Jesus is indeed God for us and God with us. That Jesus meets our greatest need and Jesus provides our greatest comfort. So what does the angel say to Joseph? What is this message that the angel proclaims? First, he essentially says, do not be afraid. God is at work. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. We saw this last week that betrothal in those days was a more legally binding form of engagement. Indeed, to, to break off a betrothal could only be done either through death of either the man or the woman or by divorce. We're told they've not yet come together. At the end of the passage, we're told that Joseph did not know Mary until she had given birth to this son. Obviously, that doesn't mean that he didn't just know her. This is the Bible's way of saying that they have not consummated their relationship. That Mary is indeed still a virgin, and yet she is found to be with child. Now, Joseph knows he's not the father. And so his first instinct is, I don't want to marry this woman anymore. But Joseph is a just man. He's a kind man. And so he is resolved to do whatever he can to, to end this relationship quietly, to try to protect Mary from shame. And as he's thinking about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Now, we're not told specifically that it is Gabriel this time. Perhaps it is. But nonetheless, Joseph has this supernatural visitor proclaim this message from God to him, which essentially says, don't be afraid, Joseph. God is at work. This is something that God himself is behind, something that God is doing. So he says, the angel says in verse 20, Joseph son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, this baby is not from you, but it's not from any other man either. Mary is still a virgin. She has not betrayed you. You can and you should still marry her. Joseph, this is the miraculous work of God. This is a display of God's almighty power. And then Matthew tells us in verse 22 that all of this is taking place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So this pregnancy is not only the miraculous work of God, it is the planned work of God. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. All of the details, the timing, the place, the people, God himself has planned it all. Do not be afraid, Joseph. 
God is at work. You can trust Him. And beloved, this message is always true in the life of a child of God. Do not be afraid. You can trust your Heavenly Father today. He is at work. And He is often at work in miraculous ways. And He is at work accomplishing His plan. Perhaps like Joseph today, there may be no human explanation for what you are facing, for what you are going through in life, for what is happening to you. It may fill you with fear. It may be that there is no way that you can understand it. You can't make any sense of it. But you can be sure that God Almighty overrules it. That he is doing something, something that will ultimately bring him praise and bring you eternal good. Joseph was learning this lesson. You know, there's another Joseph in the Old Testament that trusted in this truth that would be able to say to his brothers who had betrayed him, they indeed had betrayed him, they had abused him, they had mistreated him, they had caused him much suffering and anguish, but he would be able to say to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Beloved, this promise, this hope, this comfort is true for the children of God. It's not a universal promise. It's not a promise or a comfort that you can have if you do not know and love Jesus. This is a promise that God, our Heavenly Father, makes to His children only. That all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called by God according to His purpose. So that's the first thing that we hear in this message the angel proclaims to Joseph. Do not be afraid. Whatever you may face today, do not be afraid, for God is at work. Well, next, what do we learn about Jesus in this message? The angel says in verse 21, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And here we learn that Jesus meets our greatest need, our need for a Savior. And here we see that Jesus is God for us. The child is to be given this name, Jesus. That name means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is our salvation. So God sending his son into the world to save his people from their sins, this is the greatest display of love that the world has ever seen. This is why so many people point to John 3.16 as one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the name given to this child, the name Jesus tells us why he was born or why God sent his own son into the world to save his people from their sins, which means we need to be saved. Now you might say, why? Why? What is sin and why do I need to be saved? Well, to understand this great need that we all have, to understand sin, we first must acknowledge that God is the creator, the owner, 
the ruler of all things. It's the first sentence in God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 24, we're told the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So God created you. You belong to him. He has the right to command you how to live. And the Bible describes sin as rebellion against our creator. And every single person who has ever lived other than Jesus has rebelled against their creator. We are all guilty of sin. We saw this in Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all prove this to be true every day by our own personal rebellion against God, by the things that we think, the things we say, the things that we do that do not please God, that all start right here in our heart. Our catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, asks the question, what is sin? And it tells us that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. This means that we actively do things that God forbids. So we lie. We don't always tell the whole truth. Or we covet. There are times when we see something that someone else has and we wish we had it for ourselves. And we could go on and on and on. We actively do things that God forbids us. But we also do not actively do all the things that God commands us. So we do not always love God perfectly more than anything else. And we do not always love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So we are guilty. We are in need of salvation from this sin. The Bible says that the holy and just God must punish sin. The punishment for sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God. Alienation from God and his love. In the Old Testament, Isaiah says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The greatest need that every person has is to be saved from their sin. And the good news today is that you can be saved. A way of salvation has been made. This is the very reason that Jesus was born. To save his people from their sins. So we might ask, why do I need to be saved? We ought to also ask, how? How can we be saved? How does Jesus save us from our sins? And Peter tells us in his letter that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So the way that we are saved is because Jesus has died in our place. He has shed his own blood on the cross. He has borne in his own body the wrath of God that we deserve, the punishment that our sins deserve so we can be forgiven. We can be saved from our sin and we can be restored to fellowship with the Holy God. We can have peace with God once again so that God is no longer against us, but he is now for us. Beloved, God did not send anyone else to save you from your sins. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. And so Jesus alone was able to accomplish this salvation. 
by his life of perfect obedience, by his sacrificial death, his substitutionary death, and by his glorious resurrection from the dead, no one else died and rose to save you, and no one else could. Now, there are many who respond to that by saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is too exclusive. They reject Christianity. They reject Jesus for that. What about all the other religions? What about all the other ways that people relate to God? How can Jesus say or be the only way? But it's not only that Christianity is exclusive, that it's the only way to God. It's that Jesus offers a total different approach to God from every other religion. You know, all the other religions, they emphasize in some way morality, goodness. In a sense, you can be your own savior. Or maybe they have a teacher or a leader that says, if you just follow me, if you follow me, you listen to me, your life will improve and you will be accepted. Jesus gives us a total different diagnosis. He tells us you cannot be good enough. Your problems run much deeper. You need a rescue. You need a savior. Jesus, God himself, must come in the flesh and die in your place in order for you to be saved. And so the only way that you can be saved, the only way that anyone can be saved, is if God comes himself to save you. Not if you somehow can make your way to him. Now one pastor says, think of it this way. Imagine that you're sick and you go to various doctors and they're all telling you the same thing. It's really not that serious. Just get a little, get a little bit of rest, maybe take some fluids, exercise a little bit, you'll be okay. But you come to one doctor and he says, all those other doctors are wrong. You have a serious illness. In fact, this is deadly. And if you don't take this specific medicine, you will die. Now, if you're in your right mind, you will not reject his message just because he's the only one saying it, because you think it's too exclusive. You're not going to say, why is that doctor so narrow-minded, so arrogant? No, you're going to say, I better check this out. Either this doctor is right or he's wrong. Either he's telling me the truth or this is a lie. But if he's right, if he's telling me the truth, then I'm taking the medicine. He's going to save my life. And you won't care that the doctor is saying all those other doctors are wrong. You're thankful that he cared about you enough to tell you the truth to save your life. Beloved, as we remember the first coming of Jesus this Advent season, don't miss the main point even if you have heard it all your life. The birth of Jesus Christ says to you that God loves you so much that he gave his own son to die for you. And when you repent and trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are saved from your sins and you will be saved forever. The angel said, you will call his name Jesus for he will he will save his people from their sins not he might not he can he will beloved Jesus does not and he cannot fail 
in this mission for which God sent him into the world. This is not an attempt. It's an accomplishment. God is for you in his son, Jesus Christ. He has saved you from your sins both now and forever. So we say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? That's the truth that we need to learn about Jesus in this message from the angel. But Matthew also tells us an important name for Jesus. See, Matthew tells us that these events surrounding the birth of Jesus are all taking place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is one of the many ways that the scriptures testify to us that Jesus is God. Jesus is God himself in the flesh. But that's not all that Matthew is telling us. He's telling us that Jesus is God with us. So what does it mean? What does that mean for us as the children of God? We saw first that Jesus in saving us from our sins meets our greatest need. But now we see that Jesus as Emmanuel, as God with us, provides our greatest comfort. And I just want us to think about that in four different ways. Four brief ways to think about the comfort of God being with you. First of all, Jesus is God with us to reconcile us to God. Jesus is the one who took your sin upon himself. Which means he's not unaware of your sin. He is intimately acquainted with it. And he's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you and your sin. He knows your sin and your struggle and your sorrow. And he came. He came for the very purpose of saving you from your sin and restoring you to peace with God. 1 Peter 3.18, one of our Gospel of Christ passages this morning makes it so clear. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. So beloved, I want to encourage you, aim to remember every moment of every day. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has brought you to God. He has reconciled you to God. So you are now and always in Christ. You are united to Christ. You are a saint. You are set apart for God. You have been transformed from a sinner into a saint. You've been made a new creation in Christ. You've been made the people of God. And so your sins, every single one, all of your sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more so they are no longer a barrier between you and your God. Your sin cannot overcome the love of God. Your sin cannot overcome the plan of God. Your sin cannot overpower the blood of Jesus. And your sin can never remove you from the presence of God himself. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He has reconciled you to God and nothing can never change that. Amen? Second, Jesus is God with us to empower us to be his faithful witnesses. You know, before Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, before he ascended into heaven, 
he gathered with his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and he said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus was going to physically ascend into heaven, but he was going to send his very own spirit to live in them, to be with them every moment of every day. So Jesus in all his glory and in all his majesty and all his power, there's never a moment when he is absent from you. He is with you. So beloved, remember, aim, aim to remember that every moment of every day, God is with you in power. The power of the Holy Spirit. He is with you to empower you to be his faithful witnesses. And whatever he's called you to do, Wherever he has placed you, you're not alone. And you don't face it with your own limited strength, your own limited wisdom, or even uh, the, the frailty of your will, which, which waxes and wanes. Remember, the Almighty God is with you. I wonder if you ever doubt what God can do through you. Perhaps you've been called to a difficult task. Maybe it's for a season. Maybe you are caring for young children. That is a great blessing. But it also can be a challenge in many different ways. Perhaps you're seeking to honor God in a hard marriage. Maybe you're striving to do your work, your job, with excellence, with integrity, in the midst of a hostile work environment. Maybe you're trying to live a holy life when you are surrounded by friends who do not know and love God. Beloved, in these, and indeed in every circumstance of your life, whatever it may be, God Almighty is with you to empower you to be His faithful witness, to strengthen you to love and to honor Him. Now God's presence with you does not mean it won't be hard. It also doesn't mean that Everything will be a success in the world's eyes. But I ask, I wonder if you doubt what God can do through you. If you do, welcome to the family. This is a family problem. It's a common struggle for the people of God. And it has been ever since the beginning. Remember in Exodus 3 when God Almighty appeared to Moses to tell him to go lead his people out of Egypt and essentially Moses says, not me. I can't do it, God. Pick somebody else. And what does God say to him? He says, I will be with you. That was his comfort to Moses, and it's his comfort to you today. So, beloved, aim to remember every moment of every day. God himself is with you to empower you to be his faithful witness to strengthen you to do as he commands and also remember that your imperfect obedience offered in faith and dependence upon him is precious in his sight. It is pleasing in his sight. It glorifies him and he uses it for his glory. Third, Jesus is God with us to comfort his people. Listen to what the Lord says to his people, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Beloved, do not be afraid. God is at work. He is with you. You might ask, well, if God is with me, then why is this happening in my life? The two don't seem to line up. Why am I suffering this painful circumstance? Perhaps for Joseph, he's asking himself, if God is with me, why is, why is my, my wife pregnant with a child that's not mine? What anguish that would have caused him. You know, we may face painful circumstances for a variety of reasons. There's times where it may be due to our own sin, our own disobedience. And what you may find painful in your life may indeed be the loving discipline of the Lord to draw you back to Him, to deliver you from your sin and shame, to make you glad with the joy of His presence once again. And it's not that He ever left you. He has not. But your sin is clouding your vision. And He wants to draw you back. Or maybe it's a John 9 scenario. The difficult circumstances you face face have nothing to do with you or anything that you've done it's simply God working behind the scenes so that the works of God might be displayed in your life and it just hasn't happened yet but God is at work it could be any number of reasons any number of reasons that you may never know but the main thing is not that you need to know why you face painful, fearful circumstances. Why this may be happening if God is with you. The main thing is to know who is with you. To know and to trust and to rest in Emmanuel. To know that the one who reigns over all is indeed with you. To know that the one who is working out all things according to his plan is for you and he is with you. To know that the one who sent his own son to save you is with you. To know that the one who is making all things new is with you. To know that the one and the only one who can ultimately wipe every tear from your eye, he is with you. To know that the one who is able to bind up all your wounds and will do so is with you. To know that this one who is with you now is coming again for you and he is the one that you will be with forever which leads us to our fourth and final comfort jesus is god with us to bring his people home to glory you know at his first advent when jesus came in humility he brought god in the flesh to man at his second advent when jesus returns in power and glory he will bring man to God in his eternal kingdom. We will live once again face to face with our God. Revelation 21 speaks of this. The apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, is given this vision, vision of this coming glory, the new heaven and the new earth, and he hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Think of it. In glory, the presence of God with his people will be perfect. It will be complete. 
It will be uninterrupted. There will be no painful circumstances, no suffering, no sorrow, no sin, no evil, no wickedness to distract us from Emmanuel, God with us. And perhaps it's that thought that was on John Wesley's mind as he lay dying. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, wrote many hymns as he was dying Perhaps it was that thought that compelled him to utter these final words. The best of all is God with us. Amen? Amen.